When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Stars Matter, a recruiting podcast from The Athletic. I'm Mitch Light, joined by Ari Wasserman. Ari, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. We, we had a few stories that we worked on together that ran this week, so I'm excited to talk about those. Uh, yes. We're kind of in a lull on the recruiting action calendar right now, so some bigger picture uh, theory and discussion about some recruiting you know, thoughts I think is going to be fun. It's kind of the reason why the show exists, to be honest. It never was meant to be... Uh, you know, here's what happened every every five seconds. It was to talk about big picture stuff, and I think we're going to get into that today. So you just stole my intro. So I guess you're 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 the host now. You just you just That's take fine. over. So as I was going to say, Ari, we're going to talk about the normal things we always talk about. We're going to do recruiting uh, commitments. We're going to have mailbag. We're going to have uh, trivia. But we're going to spend a large portion of the show today. As already alluded to, some stories that we published on The Athletic, we both worked on them together. It's perfect like fodder for podcasts or, or talk radio, whatever. So I'm looking forward to that. So first, Ari, let's, a couple, couple notable things happened. Like you said, there weren't, you know, there are some commitments we need to get to, but what do you make of Keon Keeley? He's a guy we've talked a lot about, Notre, former Notre Dame commitment. He will be in Columbus, Ohio this weekend for the Notre Dame game as a visitor for, for for Ohio State for Notre Dame, he's going to Florida next week. Is you haven't done it in a while, but the, the big board where you go the, the most influential uncommitted recruits, I, I would think Keon Keeley has to be would be at the top of that list. Yeah, you know, and it's like Alabama is the team to beat right now. So when Alabama is the team to beat, usually they're the team that does not get beaten. <laughs> but mm-hmm. to see a decommitment, you know, usually what you expect is one of two things: uh, the the player who decommits commits immediately to another school. Uh, which is, uh, I think doctors call it flipping. And uh, the other one is to like really go in back into the process, see as many places as you can and, and, you know, re consider everything that you had before you made a decision. So when you make the next one, it's the one that you want to stick with. So Keeley is a five-star defensive end from Tampa. So the fact that he's going to Florida, I think is a good step in the right direction uh, for a Florida program that just needs to get kids on campus. Uh, but I still think that at the end of the road here, he's probably going to end up at Alabama. But, you know, you can't count out Ohio State either, especially if they have a really good showing on Saturday night against Notre Dame. And, you know, uh, anytime there's an extra five-star prospect that's back in the pool to track, it's always exciting because a lot of them are off the board already. So it'll be it'll be good. Yeah, we get a double our- dip. Yeah, we get a double dip. Yeah. We get to talk about him, his first commitment, which was to Notre Dame, and then we'll, we'll, we'll follow his recruitment here. Um, big week from Oklahoma. Um, I think you, you wrote about them in, in your mailbag. Up to number four, the class is up to number four. Uh, Makari Vickers, a four-star safety from Florida, number 85 overall. They've done – I don't have it in front of me, but they've, seen, they've done well in Florida this year. Um, 
which yeah, makes sense out of the state of Florida this year. Yeah, with with Brent Venables, you know, formerly at Clemson, you know, clearly they, they recruited that state well. And in, in, in Jeff, and three of the top four of those four uh, are top one sixty players. Two are top one hundred players. So yeah. very good job. And yep. Jeff Levy was the uh, offensive coordinator at UCF uh, for not very long, but but obviously he spent some time there. Yeah, also get Anthony Evans, four-star wide receiver from Converse, Texas, number 350 overall. Like I said, class is number four overall, 22 commits, two five-stars, 13 four-stars, seven three-stars, average player rating of 92.18, and that is seventh. So looks like your boy Brent Venables is well on his way to securing a top 10 class. He's my boy now. Yeah. Um, He's always yeah, been there. There's only two programs that have an average player rating higher than the 92s and that's ohio state and alabama so you know most of those are really close like all the other ones are close together so you know you look at the uh the class they've put together they've got two five-star prospects uh 13 four-star prospects out of the 22 committed uh, a nice handful of top 100 players and like i mentioned in the mailbag and i've said i think on the show in the past that i'm impressed with the fact that you know, that's a safety we're talking about. It's not just offensive skill position players. It's not just quarterback. Like Oklahoma seems to have a more well-rounded class in terms of just like the application of it yep. uh, for once they get to college. And I'm very curious to see, you know, if they could do this three or four years in a row and continually get some some top-end talent on the defensive side of the ball. If, if Oklahoma, like, is it possible that Oklahoma maintains its status quo of being one of the most exciting offensive programs in the country, but also the matches just a badass defense in the Big 12? Like that would be an remarkable team and something certainly worth watching. So I think that's kind of the goal, obviously, for Brent Venables. The, the goal is to have a great offense and a great defense. I mean, that's that's the way it's done. And not many programs are able to marry the two of those. We see a lot of programs with certain identities. Um, you know, Al- but Oklahoma's identity was like an offensive, sling it around, quarterback friendly thing. Like, but their head coach is a defensive-minded coach. Yes. So it'll be very – it's, like, even more difficult than just, like, saying it, like, simplifying it of having a good offense and good defense. Like, can Oklahoma maintain its offensive sexiness while they have a defensive head coach? Is, I, I think the fact that he hires Jeff – sorry for the interruption there, but I think the fire the, that he goes out and hires Jeff Levy is an indication that he really gets it, that he's not a defensive coach that just hired a – you know we're gonna we're gonna run the ball. We're gonna control the game. We're gonna we're gonna just win the game defensively. He he realized that in today's game you got to score points. And, and Jeff Levy was one of the one is one of the great hires. Uh, you know for a new coach. Um, Purdue. I want to talk about you know, the Purdue. best offense or the best defense is a good offense. Yes, and the best offense is a good defense. The best team has good offenses and good defenses. What about Analysis. special teams? Are you a good? Are you a big special teams guy? Uh, I bet on Nebraska this weekend. Okay, so. I, I, you strike me as a guy that does not care about special teams. Um, I think like that you wouldn't boring. hire a special teams coach. Here's how I think about special teams. <laughs> I would definitely have a special teams coach. So you didn't have and to actually, deal with it. Actually, I think it's pretty strange that most of these programs in college football don't have a kicking coach, considering how important a certain field goal could be to someone. And season. no one knows anything about kicking. Like these guys, and nobody knows any. They just kind of go out there and are just kicking by themselves off to the side and figuring That's it out. That's the funniest thing. If anyone's been to practice, the punters and the kickers, yeah. they just literally do it. It's yeah. like they're their own coaches. And you think about the amount of money that is being spent on these programs. It's just like they're just over there, and like one day they might come out of the field, and if they make the field goal or miss it, it's going to depend on whether that team makes the playoff. And it's like, oh, yeah, well, that guy didn't have a coach. But here's what I think about special teams. 
And it's the same thing that I think about other cliches, like having a chip on your shoulder. Like, I think it's inherently, it's inherently important for a team that wants to win a national championship or win games to have a very solid special teams. I also find having a chip on your shoulder or feeling disrespected to also be a um, uniquely important motivational tactic. I also think it's extremely boring to talk about. Yeah. Like, could those, because both of those two things be true at the same time? Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. Like, as a reporter, I would never write about special teams because I found it to be boring. But if there's a special teams blunder, your entire season can go down the shit. So, like, well, how, that's how good was how Alabama for all those years when they did not have a good field goal kicker? Now, they, they had good punters, they had good other facets of their special teams were good, but they, it was the strangest thing. They had the best roster in the country and they couldn't get a kicker. Now, that's changed. Did you, did you watch the Nebraska game on the weekend? Um, I watched the – have we talked about this? I watched the first quarter, and then a friend that I used to work with when I lived in New York, I had literally had not seen in 20-something years, was in town with his daughter at a lacrosse camp, so I went and met them for lunch. So I had to make the decision. Do I blow off the first big game of the year or go see and see a guy I hadn't seen in 23 years? So I didn't see the last three quarters. So you didn't see the onside kick? I know all about the, it. I know yeah. all – yeah. Yeah. Special teams can haunt you if you don't have a very Okay, let good, me ask you. Let me ask you. Yeah. At that point – how well was Northwestern moving the ball at that point? I'd say six out of ten. Okay. Because if you're playing a team that's moving the ball up and down the field and you, you fail an onside kick, it's like, what's the big deal sometimes? You're they just kick. came off of a huge defensive stop. Okay. Yeah. You, so, but yeah. you see my point. Like, sometimes you can get from the 20 to the 50 in two plays. So yeah, like, no problem. But, like, Northwestern, even though Helinski played well, they don't strike me as the team that's, like, automatically. Well, they had 500 yards of offense. Yeah. But so. a lot of it came after that. Like, Yeah. There was a – that. Momentum, turning point, I get it. So, so I like when I, I was on Nebraska, and the second that happened, I knew I lost. Probably not like it, not ideal as a better, seeing old Scott Frost do that. So, um, All right, well, let's, let, let's move on. Um, let's talk about another offensive football team, a, a team I'm looking forward to watching Thursday night, Purdue. Purdue? A huge get. Uh, Kendrick Gilbert, four-star defensive lineman from Indianapolis Cathedral, and that was, that was really big because, you know, they, they obviously they had Ricky Collins, who was kind of the anchor of their class, the quarterback. He would have been the highest-rated player in the class. Um, so to get him in-state, class is now number 34, seven in the big, seventh in the Big Ten, but Gilbert's the only four-star. But, you know, they, they've... Brahm has... has they, they've had some big recruits, like Karlofkis and, you know... Uh, um, who's the, uh, the little wide receiver yeah. that's in the, in the Cardinals? Rondale Moore. Yeah, like they, they've broken through. They have not recruited well, like, top to bottom, but they, he seemed to just find those four stars, and they panned out. Like, when you're Purdue and you get a, a four-star top 200 kid, he needs to pan out. Uh, but that, that yeah. was a big in-state get for them. Yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> yeah, sure, that's your analysis? No, 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 it's just, <laughs> it is. It's, there's a uh, top 300 player in the state of Indiana who's going to Purdue. It's exactly the way it's supposed to be. And when you look at the the state of Indiana this year, um, there's one top 100 player who's going to Notre Dame. Um, Joshua Mickens, who also goes uh, or is from Indianapolis, goes to Lawrence Central. It's a four-star edge rusher who ranks number 132, is going to LSU. And then the third best player in the state is going to Purdue. So two out of the three top players in Indiana are going to Indiana programs. And that's what you want to see. So uh, I don't know, like in the grand scheme of the Purdue the Purdue world if like this commitment is going to be like the difference between winning and losing games, but it's certainly a step in the right direction for a program that has certainly had ups. Um, and I, especially to respond after losing Collins, like you said, to get some good news, I think is good for, for program morale. I'm very curious too, to see, um, 
They're only three. They're three and a half point dogs at home against Penn State on Thursday night. Like, what the hell's that? The home like, dog. What's going on th- there? The Thursday night home dog. If John Hayes is still here, I'd love to hear his take on that because it's. <laughs> I, I, I want to. Uh, Forget the points and just lay minus 165 on Penn State just to win the game. <laughs> God has spoken. <laughs> Don't. Yeah, his uh, camera's off. I just hear this powerful voice. Don't do it, Ari. Um, okay, I'm go- I'm definitely going to do it, yeah. by the way. <laughs> so here's just a, a sign of like the, the, the difference between the way schools recruit. As I mentioned, Ricky Collins would have been by far the highest rated recruit in uh, Purdue's class. He's the 11th rated recruit in LSU's class just he's just another good player yeah yeah you know but those those types of players make a huge difference though for for programs yeah you know now the if he doesn't pan out then it has a bigger impact on Purdue than it does at LSU too so you know it's just funny like you mentioned George Karloftis who's like the only top 100 player since 2000s basically in that class and David Bell they got um, in the 2019 class, was number 113 out of Indianapolis, too, who turned out to be a hell of a player. But, like, George Karlathis is, like, from West Lafayette. His, yeah. Like, yeah. If, I'm, if I'm not mistaken, didn't his parents work at Purdue? I'm so I sure. think, like, there's there's a certain connection there that they had that they were able to close on, but I don't necessarily consider, you know, getting him to be some sort of recruiting genius. I think there was a just direct connection to somebody who happened to live in the town that your, your, your university's in. So yeah. this... Going into Indianapolis, I think that he might be, you know, a top 15 overall player um, that Purdue's ever signed, which gives you kind of an idea of, you know, just kind of how hard it is to to recruit at that school and at that level. And, uh, yeah, he's the number 14th most uh, highly rated prospect to ever go to Purdue if he were to sign. So that, that's a good good situation for them. You know what's interesting, too, about those programs? Because you probably think Purdue and Indiana are recruiting the same type of kids, the same level. Those two programs have flip-flopped momentum so much in this last few years. Where like Purdue, after that big Ohio State win a few years ago, which I'm sure you were at, they were the, the it program. Indiana, Tom Allen, two years ago, everyone's talking to them. Purdue, oh, they kind of slipped. But now it's the complete opposite. And Purdue, it's sort of like with those in-state kids, you've got to take advantage when you when you have more momentum than your rival. Like my Indiana right now, no one's talking about Indiana. Yeah, no, it's it's crazy. I feel like Purdue's good and kind of like good and then bad and then kind of good and then bad like every other year. And they were, I don't even remember, they were okay last year. So it'll be well, they didn't cool to see how they, five teams at the time. They were They had some big wins. Yeah, and they also had David Bell and George Karloftis right. on both sides of the ball. And I think you can make the case, I don't know if it's true, but you could make the case that they had the best defensive player and the best offensive player in the Big Ten last year. Now, there's some Ohio State receivers, right. and Aiden Hutchinson might have something to do with it, but like it's not very often that you could even make that statement right. without being that, laughed that, out of the building. That's a good point. Um, so they don't have those anymore, and you know it'll be cool to see how they go, but yeah. you know. I, I have a really hard time analyzing Ryan Brom and like how he's done. Brian Brom? What's I, Jeff I said Braun. Brian. Jeff Brom. Brian Brom was the quarterback okay. that played at Louisville. So yeah. they're the same person in my head. Okay. Just say Brom. If you don't know the coach's first name, just say Brom. Coach Brom. I, I have uh, brain shortages where okay. I think I'm saying the correct thing and I say the wrong thing. Haven't you noticed that? Well, I've noticed it in writing. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, Georgia, Monroe Freeling, which was an interesting – I tried to get – I think I put it on your list at one point for you and Grace to both write about this guy. He was the number one player in the state of South Carolina for top 100 offensive linemen, and I never really saw a ton about his recruitment. 
throughout the process. I mean, I would poke around. Um, he just committed to Georgia, but like he visited Florida, might have visited Alabama. He said he was going to commit during the season. Maybe he meant during his season. He said he wanted to go see some campuses for games and stuff. I don't. Maybe it was a situation at Georgia where they were only taking X amount of offensive linemen, and, and he needed to jump on that spot. But that was a really nice get to go in there, and uh, you know, Clemson I'm sure is after him. South Carolina to go in and get the number one player in the state of South Carolina for Georgia. Georgia got a good player. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, you look stunned. If people could see the look on your face, you look stunned. Uh, Eight players in Georgia's class now that rank in the top 103. Say that again. Eight. 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 Yeah, nine in the top 120, ten in the top 135, and, uh, you know, that's how it goes. So, another great class for Georgia, and that's a nice little piece too. But, you know, it's like you want you would want to see that guy go to South Carolina if you're, like, buying in on the on the Shane Beamer train, you know? Yeah. It's, it's hard. But it's just like at the same time, can you blame South Carolina for losing out to Georgia? That's just like a double-edged sword there. Right, right. But South Carolina's done pretty well in-state. Um, USC gets Jacoby Lane, four-star wide receiver from uh, Mesa, Arizona. Is that right near mm-hmm. your, where you grew up, I assume? It's, in, it's a suburb or a, a – it's it's in Phoenix, yeah. yeah. Um, Auburn, Dequavius Sori, a four-star wide receiver from Florida. This is a great stat about Florida. I mean, about Auburn. They have eight commits. You want, you want to know what their blue-chip ratio is? Uh, I bet it's zero. 88%. Oh, Seven, wow. Seven of their eight commits are, are four stars, but they only have well, eight commits. Yeah. That's going to be bet the highest blue chip without, ratio ever. But I bet – well, no, I'm sure that Alabama's blue chip ratio is uh, – that's good. Uh, I bet you if I had another trivia question without looking at their class that they probably don't have a single player in the top 100, maybe even the top 150 out of those blue chip players too. I don't know. Good point. I mean, I bet uh, probably not. Probably they not. don't have one in the top 100. I would know that they did. Yeah, they're yeah. probably all in the 200, 300 range. So. Yeah. All right, Nebraska, Cameron Leonard, four-star edge from IMG, but is from Staten Island. I haven't heard of too many four-star kids from Staten Island. Um, North Carolina, Kavion Keys, four-star linebacker from Richmond. That's that, you know, we haven't talked about North Carolina much recently, but they, they've done well in Virginia over the last few years. I think I'm pretty close to tapping out on my North Carolina theories. Okay. Are they, are they, uh, do they get bumped from the cool kids table? Are they back over in like the other? I think they're back over in the other table. Just like good kids. Did you watch while you were were too busy, like sitting in front of your TV with your shirt off watching Vanderbilt, but did you watch (laughs) any of the North Carolina game? Uh, yeah. Um, you did. Yeah, I did. Cause it was on earlier. So Um, you saw them struggling with a team that was basically a half step above a high school level with half their roster. Yeah, not great, but they they won. They pulled. They pulled. You know. Yeah, they, they sure did. Yeah, it was kind of dicey there for a few. Yeah, I don't it, know if they were ever thought they were going to lose, but the spread was forty five. And did uh, like, a certain podcast co host have money on? North no, Carolina? no. I was just. Okay. I'm like, I've been waiting for North Carolina to be awesome, but their defense is terrible. Yeah, at least they won. Like, at least they won the opener this year. How'd it go last year? No, I know, but last year they played a team that had power five talent. Yeah. Um, in South Carolina, we just mentioned them. They uh, Desmond Umiazulu, four-star edge from Maryland. We, we've talked about this before. That staff is clearly making you know the, the Northeast Corridor a priority with some of their rec- some of their coaches and, and uh, a good get for South Carolina. Okay, we, we two stories that were published. Did on, you uh, did ahead. you hit the Ole Miss commitment? I think we it was last week. The wide receiver, the in-state. Has wide, it been already over a week? The wide receiver in-state. 
Yeah, okay, yeah. you did. We got it. You should right. listen to this podcast. It's pretty good. You I might, know, it's pretty good, yeah. You might learn something. Some this guy in there has got a bunch of crazy Sorry, things. I was looking at my notes, and I guess I, I didn't realize it's been longer than a week from now, but yeah, you know, they've got the, t- the top two players in the state of Mississippi committed three out of the top four yeah. potentially soon. There so. you go. There you go, Lane. Doing pretty well there. All right, we, we, we worked on two stories that were published in The Athletic this week. Um, which one do you want to talk about first? Um, Let's do the... Th- which... Let's do whichever the, uh, you want. You're the host. Uh, truths or myths. So th- there's been a series. All, a lot of our beat writers have done just like truths or myths for the teams they cover. Like take a take a narrative. Like you know, I don't know. Ohio State's defense is going to be much improved, and then you dive in, and you know, is that a truth or a myth? And you know, that's a probably not a great example. It's very very general there. But but the best thing about this one is there's data to back yes, up our yeah. truth and myths. So we we did a recruiting one. And basically, it was just like Ari said, it was all research based. Um, and <clears throat> excuse me, I'm going to, we'll go one by one. There is an advantage to having a five star quarterback in your backyard. Now, when I was researching this, you didn't tell me about your, your work when you were at the Cleveland Plain Dealer. You, you did something similar where you dove in at the time, five, six years ago. Your data revealed that, what was it, that, that, that high level quarterback prospects travel. Shorter distances to their colleges than than other players, other similar yes. caliber players. And I went back and read it. It was a pretty good story. Now there was a distinction that we didn't do that I did with that. I didn't care whether the school was in the state or not. All I cared about was the total mileage. So, like Jackson Arnold counts as an out of state kid this year. Yes, he's but I Dallas, would consider that being home yes. because he's closer to Oklahoma than Austin. I think. Yes. Um, but in state. Still, for the most part, even though you have kids that are on the border or, or live in states that don't have Power 5 programs in them, is a good indicator. Um, and back in the day, before national recruiting was a thing, because I wrote that story in 14, which is almost 10 years ago, and like recruiting and, and the way that rosters are constructed is incredibly different now than it was just even eight short years ago. Um, and back in the day, it used to feel like your... your uh, fate as a program is is entire basic like entirely tied to the luck of whether or not a five-star quarterback or an elite level quarterback happens to grow up near where your campus is you know and that's why living in talent rich states was such an advantage back in the day because you had more people to choose from in order to fill out your roster so back then I found you know eight years ago that a quarterback would travel on average more than a hundred miles less to their college destination than other players did at other positions. Now, what's the reason for that? That's all theory. Is the quarterback more likely to be the hometown hero? Do they feel a sense of bigger sense of responsibility of being the face of the program? So the home draw sells better, whatever your position on that, I can accept because it's all, it's all a discussion, but you did in state. So there are a lot of, well, there are not that many five-star quarterbacks in general. Yeah, it's only 28 go, in the past 10 years. So, you know, it's like a little bit more than two a year. And so, eight, yeah, 18 of the 28 went out of state. Are, yeah, is it 18? No, eight. Yeah, no, excuse me. 20 of the 28 went out of state. Eight stayed in state. And there's a little caveat there that two of them are um, – were legacies like Bo Nix going to Auburn and Sam Eward going to Washington. Now they still went there. The school still got them, but there was, there was a built-in advantage. And the there. best part about this is that I don't even think we mentioned in the story is I'll, I'll, I'll read out the ones that stayed home because half of them transferred. Kyler Murray went to Texas A&M and transferred. 
Yes. Josh Rosen went to UCLA. He stayed. JT Daniels went to USC. He transferred. Twice. Justin Fields went to Georgia. He transferred. Bo Nix went to Auburn. He transferred. And Brock Vandergriff, Sam Heward, and Connor Wegman are like from the 21 class and in, in, in later. Right. So they haven't gotten to the point yet where they might. But what I found in my story eight years ago was that players who left home and the exceptions of the rule who, who left their state or went really far away ended up transferring back to where they're from later. So this was the exact opposite of that. And the five-star quarterbacks who who left their home state to play in a, in a at a school that wasn't in their state, the the list is far more extensive. So um, yeah, the point of it is is that it's a myth uh, to think that having a five-star quarterback in your backyard, and I think maybe we should have used the phrasing an in-state quarterback because backyard is relative, yeah, um, isn't necessarily the advantage anymore because national recruiting has gotten to the point where. You know, Tennessee's getting their quarterback out of California. And Alabama got uh, Bryce Young out of California. Like, if you want a quarterback, you have to go get him. Um, and Dante Moore's going to Oregon. You know, uh, Arch Manning's going to Texas. Christopher Vizina's leaving uh, Alabama to Clemson. Jackson yeah, Arnold to Oklahoma. Like, there's a lot of examples of this. I, I didn't want to get too bogged down in stuff. And I was thinking I was going to talk to you about making some, like, explainers or caveats but it turned out that there weren't enough examples like yeah I get it like Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence one of them leaving the state because they're obviously both not going to Georgia so like people are going to say that and like but neither of them went to Georgia right so no well one of them signed, oh well one did yeah, yeah. and one like Christ- went, yeah. Christopher Vizzini oh he's not going to Alabama well it's because Alabama has two you know two two top 50 kids going there there are sure there are examples of that and one yes to counter another pushback Tua is the only one who came from only five star quarterback who came from a state without a power five team. So obviously he was going to leave the state. Yes. And I think as we go down the list, because what we're going to do is statement and then myth or fact, yeah. there are a lot of discussion points, which was makes this fun. Because yeah. even though we have hard data backing it up, if you go read the comments, people, I got well actually a lot. Yeah. And I think that's what makes this fun because, we, yeah. and this, this is why the podcast exists, is to talk through this stuff. Well, we but, spent a lot of time on one of them specifically going back and forth, trying to cover, being sure we were interpreting the data the way we thought we were. And so I'm not surprised. That the, yes. The sample so, sizes aren't great enough in most of this stuff for like depth. Yes. So the, the statement for the first one that we did was there is an advantage to having a five-star quarterback in your backyard. And we, our verdict was that that was a myth. Now, that said, it would be very interesting, you know, maybe we'll do this, to do a, a second version of the plane dealer story and do the mileage breakdown and still see um, if the mileage that quarterbacks tend to travel is shorter distance than other national recruits. But backyard, like, for instance... Um, like a kid from Memphis, if he's in his backyard, Ole Miss is 50 miles away. University of Tennessee is six hours away. That's right. So there are certain caveats to that. And if you want to say, well, state lines are subjective, mileage is what's important, then that's certainly a, a worthy discussion of having. But the point of the matter is, is that kids that play the quarterback position leave state at a very high rate. Yeah, it's become a national position more so than it's ever been in a national landscape. Right. Um, okay, number two, and this one probably is statement number two. It's statement number two, and this one is the most difficult to disagree with. School SEC schools really, and I put really in italics, dominate in recruiting. In the verdict, there Ari is truth. Truth. Um, what, why don't you hit him with all those numbers? Yeah. So there's I've nothing got, even to talk about on this one. Yeah, I've got a, uh, a handy spreadsheet where I can just grab tons of numbers and do some quick math. So. Um, 
Over the last 10 years, the average SEC class has ranked 19.6 nationally. So that's from like Alabama to Vanderbilt every year, just averaging what the classes are ranked. So 19.6. The next best conference is the Big Ten at 37.3. So that's almost a 20-spot difference if you just the average. It's almost half as worse. Yes. Here's a couple more Wait, numbers. Wait, how do you say that? I, it's, it's, it's twice. Twice as good. <laughs> Uh, during the same span, the SEC has produced 28 of the 50 top five classes. So over the last 10 years, there's obviously been five. There's been 50 top five classes. SEC has more than half of them, despite being only one of five power conferences. Um, here's we use Tennessee as a good example here. The Vols are ranked seventh in the SEC in average class ranked over the last five years. That would rank fourth in the Big Ten, third in the ACC in the Big 12, and second in the Pac-12 over the same span. So there's really – I mean, you want to add something to that? There's really not much to talk about this. Yeah, I mean, Tennessee Tennessee had the 10th overall class in the country in 2020, number 10 overall nationally, and it was number seven in the SEC. And I'll never forget that stat yeah, because it's it was so – Yeah, it's one of It's like it's insane. Yeah. It's like they, they signed the top 10 class – in the entire country, and they weren't even in the top half of their own conference. Yeah. I mean, it's a bona fide fact. Like, there's yeah. no, th- this is the only one where you can't be like, well, actually. Yeah. Like, it's like the numbers are the numbers. Yeah. Uh, I would counter that, which I totally agree with everything. I agree with everything we're saying, obviously, because we're saying it. But if, if, you're, if you're the 10th best in the country and something that you're, you're still, you're not getting elite elite like Alabama's and Georgia's but you're getting enough good players where you're putting yourself in position to coach them up and, and, and trust your evaluation and win a lot of games yeah to win a lot of games because there's a lot of teams in the Big Ten that fit, that average in between 9 and 12 yeah uh, every year who go 10 and 2 every year yeah and I think Tennessee would cut their legs off to go 10 and yeah. 2 um, alright number three Pac-12 schools don't recruit well what was our answer Ari that is a truth myth no, no, no! It's a myth. Sorry, yes, not a it's myth. We have a little double negative there. They, the, 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 the premise is that the belief out there is, oh, it's Pac-12 that they don't recruit well, and we determined that was a myth, basically because we, we agree it's a given that they're not recruiting at the same level as the SEC schools and Big Ten schools, but they are right with the other two Power Five schools. The, the average, their average class over the last five years is forty-one point six. The Big 12 is 40.5. The ACC is 40.6. And if you go over the last 10 years, theirs is actually better than those other two leagues. So, And, then you, and there's absolutely no difference between 40.5 and 41.6. Right, right. Yeah, well, it's the what, same thing. Yeah. What you did, you added to, to our numbers, our data. Basically, what, what's, what's hurting the Pac-12 is perception. Why don't you talk about that? Yeah, the, the thing is, is that they aren't recruiting great. They're just recruiting equally as bad as the Big 12 and the ACC <laughs> combined. Because the SEC is great, the Big Ten's above average, and then the other three are just like, oh. The problem is, is that the Pac-12 does not have a perennial national championship contender every single year to lift the conference up. You know, the Big 12 has Oklahoma, who makes the playoff every year, basically. Uh, the ACC has Clemson, who has won two national championships since 2016. Obviously, the Big Ten has Ohio State, and, and SEC has half the other <laughs> half the other national title contenders. And it's like the Pac-12 have Oregon and USC, but... Both of them have been wildly inconsistent during the playoff era, and I think only two teams have made the the playoff from the Pac-12. That's Washington and Oregon. USC hasn't even made it. So, you know, that's the thing. And it's also the time zone issue and all that stuff. And, you know, maybe that stuff will change when, uh, you know, 
Texas and Oklahoma go to the SEC and USC and UCLA go to the Big Ten. You know, there's a whole hodgepodge of issues that'll make or of changes that are making uh, this conference distinction a little bit, uh, you know, irrelevant once that that comes. But the Pac-12 is basically on par with the other two. They just don't have a flagship um, program that you can rest your hat on and say they are going to compete for a national championship this year, which makes them feel way further behind than they actually and they are. should. USC, yes, and they might soon. Absolutely. All right, th- this next one was probably the most, the one where you could interpret the data uh, differently and where I kind of maybe slightly disagreed with you. I mean, we the, fought. Yeah, yeah. The, the verdict I, is fine, but just kind of the, the, the interpretation. Making the college football playoff will provide a boost to your school's recruiting. And we, we basically came up, we, our verdict was myth. And I, let me tell you the data we came up with. And then I, we looked at the, the recruiting results from the average of the three years prior to the playoff appearance and the three years after for every school that's made the playoff for the first time. So that shows you, okay, we broke through. That should help our recruiting. Now, I will say we did not use Alabama, Florida State, and Ohio State in this exercise because all three of those programs, at the time that they made their first playoff appearance, were already championship-caliber teams. So it wasn't like they were going to get a boost from their you know, recruiting because, oh, they broke through. They'd recently either played for a national championship or won a national championship. And basically what the data showed is it had a minimal or no impact on almost every team except Michigan State's average recruiting actually went down by 11 spots after making it in 2015. And Oklahoma's went up uh, – no, it's three teams that affected. Oklahoma's uh, went up by eight Point, an average of 8.3 spots, and Washington's went up by an average of 9.7. Um, and there's, we can kind of, there's disclaimers there. They're in, Michigan and Cincinnati are part of this, but they're recruiting. Like, Michigan's recruiting has not done well after the playoff. Cincinnati's done very well after the playoff. But again, there's extenuating circumstances there. Cincinnati's on the way to the Big 12. Surely they're going to use that to help the recruit. Michigan's coach tried to go to the NFL. Surely that hurt their recruiting. So why don't you talk about the way you interpreted this data? The way I interpreted this data was that I took all the blue bloods out of it for the most part. Now, I know that's kind of contradictory because I used Michigan as a example for how it didn't just automatically have a huge uptick. But when I look at the numbers, you know, Oklahoma's recruiting class uh, average going up by eight spots after they made their first playoff in 15 doesn't move me that much because it also coincided with like the emergence of Lincoln Riley as an offensive play caller there. Um, you know, and offensive coordinators who change the perception of a program really do a good job of of upping the tempo there uh, in terms of the talent that you're bringing in. And Washington went up point nine, or 9.7 spots from 25 to 16, but that was only temporary, and now we're back in the dumps again. So, like, I think that the entire point of this was making the statement is making the college football playoff will provide a boost to your school's recruiting. It might make a temporary boost to recruiting, but when people talk about the expanded playoff, they make it seem like making the playoff in that new format is going to completely alter the way that teams that hadn't made the playoff in the current system, like the scope of their programs, which I don't think we've seen here because Washington had their one year in 16 and they haven't contended for the the championship or the, the playoff since. You know, Michigan and Cincinnati, you know, the jury's out because it happened so so recently. But Michigan State beat Ohio State's best, the most talented team in, in the history of the program, maybe, uh, and goes to the playoff, and then their spots go down 11.3. I mean, like, there's no definitive evidence here that says, hey, you make the playoff, you're going to be better off. Now, there is some evidence that you might have a, an uptick for a year or two, 
But like, it's not a sustainable change in the problem of the sport. And the problem of the sport is hoarding the top talent at the top. Yeah, I, I would. I would say I agree with what you're saying there. Washington, it, to me, could have been the prime example of a program that it really helped. They broke through with a relatively new coach to their program, Chris Peterson. I think afterwards they had three straight classes that were ranked 16. So their average was obviously 16. They were on the verge, in my opinion, of making that permanent move, maybe not to the elite status, but that next tier. Then Chris Peterson retires. And then Jimmy Lake, we all know what happens there. So I think if Chris Peterson hadn't retired, they'd still be recruiting top 15 classes, and we'd be looking at Washington as an example. Hey, here really is a team. Do you think that if Chris Peterson didn't retire that all those five-star prospects from Seattle wouldn't have gone to Ohio State? I mean, I think they might have gotten one or two, but you can still sign a top 15 class without getting those five stars. So here's what I here's what I take exception to. Okay. And not That's your, a strong not word, your, exception. Like you I'm not, not even your point of view, just the point of view from the general public, is the problem right now, and maybe this is a bit, would have been a better way to frame it, and I'll go into the comments and respond because I've been thinking about this. Um, the people like this story the, or they hate it? They liked it. Okay. They liked it. it was, it's thought-provoking. You don't have to agree with our right. interpretation of the data to, to see the data and come to your own conclusions. And I did all the work for the data, so I, what I are felt you talking like really. About? <laughs> <laughs> I could lock you up in a room, give you my spreadsheets for 24 hours, and you couldn't have done that. That's true. I agree. <laughs> I'm not very good with looking that stuff up and putting it into charts like you. And I appreciate your help on that. Thanks, buddy. Um, the one thing that I will say though is there seems to. So what's the problem here? The problem in college football is the hoarding of top level talent, yes, right? Right. And people think the expanded playoff is going to stop that problem, which is an implication of what? The implication is that that top talent that's going to Alabama, Georgia, Clemson, Ohio State, and, and other schools will start trickling down to Michigan and Penn State and Washington and Michigan State and all these other teams. And it's like there's no definitive evidence. Like there, so, so like the improvement of your classes, sure, that could happen, but it's not automatically going to stop the top 100 players, 66 of them going to five schools because we're talking about the, t- the most the – most, talented, impactful prospects in the country who continually go to Alabama and Ohio State and Georgia over and over and over again. And if Penn State makes the the playoff and the expanded playoff in 2027, they're not all of a sudden going to start landing Keon Keeley over Alabama. Like, that's not going to change the problem. So there are certain teams that, like Washington, for instance, had the the biggest jump, right? Let's use them for an example. They went from 25 to 16, right? They're not going to start taking prospects away from Alabama. So the team that so you is don't 16th, think they have a better chance of keeping a five-star kid home if they've been to the playoff two times in the previous three years. Maybe in the current playoff, not in the expanded one when it's participation trophy-ish. Okay. Well, I, I, I there's not because enough. the you're only letting teams in on a technicality at that point. You're it's just like letting them in. It's the play- well, it's- no, you change the rules to help more people make it when they couldn't make it before. That's literally the entire definition of a. Of a participation trophy, isn't it? <laughs> I, I don't know. It's, it's Your team's not good enough to make the playoffs, so why don't we let four times as many teams in so you can finally get in now? Is that like an accomplishment, or is that, a, is that a, just a rule I, change? I, I can just see scenarios in which a kid is more likely to go to a Penn State, a Washington, a Florida. The Alabama kids? Than they are. 
if then the, if their team if because the whole point is to create parity in right. the sport. So so what? what so if, if Washington goes up from twenty five to sixteen, then that means the sixteenth team fell. What if one kid a year or two kids a year don't go to Alabama and don't go to Georgia, don't go to Ohio State and go elsewhere? That helps. I'm not saying it's it the certainly solution. does. Yes, I think it helps. I doubt that Michigan State or Washington or Michigan, for that matter, are in a better position to land five-star prospects who tend to go to the collection of five schools that we say over and over again as a result of a single appearance in the playoff, especially which when, when most of these one-off teams that made it got their ass kicked when they got there. Right, but we're not talking about a single appearance. We're talking about sustained like, over a period of time in an expanded playoff because you're making the argument against against – but if it playoff. didn't help in the exclusivity of the four-team playoff, then how is it going to help when it's 12? I know. My argument is being in, being in position. Like, Michigan State made it. They haven't been close since. So, like, if you're in the discussion, if you're a program that's always in the mix for a playoff, I think they are more likely to persuade a kid away from one of the elite recruiting schools. I'm not saying it's going you to got happen. Spreads- you got that spreadsheet open? Uh, which one? The one of, like, average classes in given times? Or where you can calculate it real quick? Yeah, hold on. It's my, uh, my computer's little. So there. He's got a computer. It's got Windows 95 on it, so we're going to have to wait. <laughs> what are you talking about? I have a Mac Air. <laughs> okay. Yeah. What do you want to know? What do you want to know? You're, I'd like I'm to know. All, I'm the one who can give you the data in 12 You're the one with the data. You're the plug. You're in front of me. You're the plug. Ready? Yeah, what do you want to know? Would you argue that Oklahoma is in, in the national discussion of the discourse? Yes. You would because they're in the playoff every year and they're winning their conference. They've most made years. the playoff last couple of years, right? Okay, but they made they it made the fourteen four, playoff four years in a row, didn't they? Yeah, I believe so. Okay, now go look at their average ranking um, after the two thousand fifteen season. Yeah, from and I think it was uh, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen was seven point seven according to your data that's in the story. Right? Okay, have they finished in the top seven in the time since? They were six in nineteen. They were eight and twenty-two, and right now they've got a top-five class. So, do you think that they are in a better position as a program as a result of making all of those playoff berths? Yes. Six, eight, and five. I think they can sell six, eight, and five right now. But six and eight averages to seven, which is the exact number that they had already. Yeah. It's not like Oklahoma all of a sudden is 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 in the top three now because of their playoff berths. And Oklahoma's but, but a blue they, blood. When they crashed the party, when they made the playoff for the first time, they started recruiting better. Now, but then you just argue it's because they hired Lincoln Riley that had nothing to do with being a playoff team. I, mean, I think I'm sure it had something to do with it. But also, too, Oklahoma isn't the team that, that is designed for the, to need the help you can't use michigan as an example and then it's like say one you know i'm looking at blue blood programs only then use michigan as an example take michigan out of it i don't even need michigan they haven't even signed a class yet take i'm just michigan state's the example so look at cincinnati use. they got their 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 class they've averaged 40s and now their class is like 21 22 yeah is it, that, going it hasn't to signed yet right but it could be because of the right i know my, my point is the teams that need the most help it's not Oklahoma, and frankly, it's not even Michigan. It's that second-tier team, and maybe Michigan's in there. Penn State, Florida right now, USC, Washington, Oregon, um, Texas, all these teams that are like in the, on the cusp of it. And I guess maybe Oklahoma was in that category yeah, at some they were. point. They, they... But I don't think that making the expanded playoff, there's enough – 
information and this data for you to be like, yeah, this is totally going to fix the parity problem. What might happen is Washington... There's not enough data <laughs> either me. side to come up with a definitive But Washington answer. might... When, Mosh, when Washington goes from 25 to 16, that's going to be a nice little boost for their program, and their program might be better. But the team that was 16th or 17th will go down to 18th, 19th, or 20th, and there'll be this constant shuffle of the second tier, which is what we already see. So no one can make an improvement It's going to help it out because that... They can make an improvement. Okay. It's not going to be because they made it in the playoff as the 11th seed. Okay, let's move. I don't think like yeah. the Pitt Panthers are all of a sudden going to start recruiting top 10 classes because they happen to make the playoff one year. Yeah, so I mean, again, this was the one that... But this is a good debate because yeah. you're probably on Mitch's side or my side. Yeah, well, the, yeah well, this who is the one that right we, we wrestled with back and forth looking at the data. Okay, here's one. That made me puke. Yeah. <laughs> you need to recruit... And, and here's another one where we, we could have... Statement. We could, we could have made the numbers... Well we'll, well, we'll talk about that in a minute. You need to recruit at an elite level to win a national title. And it went against every fiber, everything that you stand against to, to write myth. You made me write myth. No, I didn't. I said we could have a disclaimer. You said, Ari said, this one hurts me to the depth of my soul because technically it is a myth. So basically, we looked at the national champions – of the playoff era, there are what eight of them, and the average recruiting rank in the was it the four years before? Um, I think it's the yeah the four years. So basically, your roster, and three of the eight, their average recruiting rank was seven or worse. And Ari's stance has been: you need to be a top five at least recruiting program to win a national title. Now I will yes. I will say this, which we added in. LSU, it's national championship team, average recruiting rank of 7.3, but they actually had, what, three top six classes, or they had three top seven classes and then the number 16 class, so their roster was stocked with talent, and they had, like, the greatest transfer quarterback of all time. So this is one where the, the, the data could have gone either way, but it was interesting, like Clemson at 12.8, and Clemson again at 10.8, and then again that LSU. So to have three of the eight have average class rankings of seven or worse was a little bit of a surprise, even though we knew Clemson would probably be in that mix. Yeah, well, actually, Clemson is, the, is a pure uh, exception. Yes. And their coach is a legend as a result of it. So, you know, to me, 12.8 and 10.8, they they have analyzed talent and they got Isaiah Simmons, who I think was a three-star prospect, to be one of the best defensive players of the last decade. And you get credit for that. So there's a, there, there's a way to develop and transcend that. But LSU is not an example of it because LSU had a smaller class that was 16 in there and then they got Joe Burrow to transfer right. in. It's like, okay, well, no crap, they won the national title. But the other ones are 2, 2.3, 1, 1, and 4. Um, so, like, I just I had to brush my teeth after writing this because there's just, like, it's the, the necessary context is, is just not there. So, like, I guess technically if you're a fan of a school that, that has an average uh, recruiting ranking of 10.8, which is literally, I think, Penn State, <laughs> you can convince yourself that you can win a national championship based on this data. Or you can pay attention to the context of the, the situation and, and open your eyes and say, hey, that's probably not going to happen again. And if it is, then we are the second greatest exception in the history of mathematical analysis of college football. So, you know, also the three quarterbacks on those teams were who? Joe Burrow. Did was he good? He was outstanding. 
Okay. Deshaun Watson. Was he good? He was outstanding. Okay. Trevor Lawrence. He was pretty good, yes. right? Okay. So that gets us to our next one. Our final one. If you haven't recruited at an elite level, you absolutely have to have a transcendent transcendent quarterback leading your team. And that is without a doubt a truth. Yes. And because the only other exception to the rule, and I think that anything pre playoff era is like useless information now because it's not the same sport anymore. Um, and winning a national championship in the pre playoff era was much easier than it is now because you could luck yourself into or not luck yourself, play yourself into an undefeated regular season and uh, not have to win a conference championship game and two playoff games to win it all. Like if you got the right matchup in the, in the championship game and you were in the BCS because you didn't lose in the regular season or whatever, the path at the end of the road is much easier than it is now. So, but that Clemson, that uh, 2010 Auburn team, which uh, had Cam Newton as its quarterback, also won a national championship, and they had no top five uh, recruiting classes uh, in the previous four years. That said, uh, they had multiple top ten classes during that same span, and they, you know, I think you could make the case that neither uh, the Oregon team that they beat or the Auburn team that won the national championship game, uh, the way that they were constructed in that year, would win or come close to winning a national title in 2021. Yep. So... You know, but yeah, your team isn't winning a national championship without signing a top five class or top 10 classes with a generational talent uh, under center. Yeah. So there it is. Hope you uh, go back and take a look at the story. Although we've basically- yeah, all the data is in there and stuff too. So it's cool to, you know, you, you can go look at it and we didn't read all the numbers and stuff. There's a lot of charts. Looks like geometry class. Uh, it's, it's pretty good. And Mitch did a ton of work with it. And without him, we wouldn't have been able to make the story possible. So thank you, Mitch. Thanks, and, uh, Thanks buddy. Go, 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 Joe, go watch it or read it. Yeah. Um, should, we, can t- we can either talk about the uh, other story now or we can save it to next week. What do you want to do? Save it till next week because we're already pretty far along in okay. this. Okay. Yeah, we got another story. Uh, and you can, do your, you can do your own research. The story we're going to talk about next week is we, we took a look at the uh, – the best player at every ranking spot, 1 through 25, in the modern era of recruiting from the 247 Sports Composite. So you go find that story on our website at The Athletic, and then you can hear us talk about it. And there was some some of them were obvious and some some good healthy debate there. Um, all right, well, since, since we're not doing that, we do have time for a few uh, mailbag questions, and then we'll hit trivia. Um, you know what? One of them was... Exactly from your mailbag, which we spent about 20 minutes talking about. It was about, can you explain how expanding the college football playoff will supposedly allow more teams to succeed and improve the recruiting? So we do not need to talk about that because we've spent a lot of time. I would love to talk about it again if you like. <laughs> no, we'll, we'll wait till next week and have the same discussion. Um, this is from the mailbag a couple weeks ago. Dale W., which Power 5 programs face the biggest hurdles? Uh, look, we've talked about this in various forms. Location, financial support, facilities, academic standards, lack of tradition, which make it difficult to consistently recruit the talent needed to win consistently. I mean, there, there's different answers to all of those. Like location, we talked about maybe Syracuse last week, Washington State, Oregon State, you know, <coughs> academic, Stanford, Northwestern, Duke, Vanderbilt, you mm-hmm. know, so, uh, lack of tradition. A lot of those academic schools, lack of tradition. So, um We've, we, t- we do talk about this a lot, but Ari, so what would you say if, if you were if you were a he- aspiring Power 5 head coach, what would be the job you would take, what, that you would rank 65th of the Power 5 as far as Syracuse from a recruiting standpoint? I think Syracuse. Okay. 
Now, they, um, they have more tradition than a lot of the other so-called have-nots. Yeah, but they're also the only have-not that has had no pulse. They won 10 you games know, like, a few oh, years ago, but... You know, I guess, yeah. does that count? Like, that Dungy guy was fun to watch. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, and now, like, Washington State was, like, in the top five of the playoff rankings a few weeks ago, or a few weeks, a few years they've ago. They've had some great they? years over the past 20 years. And also, Washington State might be, like, one of the most exciting teams in college football to watch this year. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, I don't know. Washington State's got some really bad geography. It's basically in Idaho. Did yeah. you know that? Yes. we saw, Yeah. Oh, I, I didn't know that. I'm glad we brought that up. I have an Idaho. Remember a couple year, a couple weeks ago, I, I forgot who got him, but some someone signed a four star or got a commitment from a four star kid from Idaho, and I mentioned how we'd never talked about Idaho. Do you remember that? A couple yes. weeks ago. Well, I got a note from Mike Smeltz, who is uh, a colleague of ours at the Athletic. He's the executive producer of Narrative Podcast. He's mm-hmm. also the co-host of one of my favorite podcasts, The Glue Guys. It's a Brooklyn Nets podcast. Highly recommend it. Listen to it all the time. Mike, if you're listening, I'd be happy to be a guest talk about the 1980s uh, New Jersey Nets. He doesn't want you to be on, on the podcast, but... I, I, he probably doesn't, but I said I would do it if he wants me. Okay. He I'm sent me a note he about Idaho. Evidently, Ari, you are not the most athletic A. Wasserman at The Athletic. Because Andrew Wasserman, one of our colleagues at The Athletic, was voted by the University of North Carolina's athletic department as the best UNC athlete ever from Idaho. Was he, like, running up against anybody? I don't know. <laughs> I think he was, like, a walk-on. Might have been. I forgot what sport Mike told me. Um, but he was an Andrew Wasserman. Yes, was an athlete at North Carolina and was voted the school's best athlete ever from Idaho. Andrew Wasserman, uh, you get his emails, right? I get his emails every day, and he's a very important man. <laughs> yeah, and like it's like, do you ever respond? <laughs> just be like, ah, screw I'm you. Just like, hey, I think you met Andrew Wasserman. Here's his email. Um, because like I would ignore them, but like also he's like in charge of the business aspect of our business, <laughs> so like I don't want to ignore them because it's like I don't want to be the reason why uh, a deal falls through. Uh, but I'm very familiar with Andrew Wasserman, even though I don't know that we've ever spoken. I do get to read his emails a lot. Okay, he was a walk. I found my note from Mike. He was a walk-on wide receiver. He's basically the only Idaho athlete who went to UNC. So there you go. Um, and then Mike. Smeltz is also a Syracuse alum, and this was the episode where we talked about how Syracuse is like the hardest job. So, so there's a lot of there's a lot of intersection here. Yeah, exactly. So again, Glue Guys podcast, Brooklyn Nets talk. I'm available, Mike. Um, all right. Do you want to talk about how the Brooklyn Nets nucleus that nucleus nucleus? I say nucleus. Uh, Andy made fun of me for that. Uh, the nucleus. Did I say that We're right? back, baby. Nets are back. It just blew up. It's back, though. How's it back? Kevin Durant's coming back. Okay, but Kyrie's gone. No, he's not. He's back. They're all back. Ben Simmons. The whole thing's back? Yeah, pay attention. Stars matter. The Nets have stars. Are they all healthy? Sure. I mean, Ben's... Are they all getting along? Everyone, lo- it's, everyone loves everyone, yes. I used to love the NBA, and I've just like completely lost track of it. The last few years. Your Phoenix Suns. They're bringing back the old Charles Barkley Phoenix Suns uniforms this year, so that's cool. All right. Were you a, were you a uh, how old were you in 93? I just, uh, 93, six. So you don't remember the championship? I mean, I remember, like, everybody had the Charles Barkley jersey growing up when I was a kid. Yeah. All right, ready for a little trivia? I remember the, the Steve Nash Suns. Yeah. Now, they've, they've had some – They've had some. I mean, I guess a lot of NBA teams, they've had some really good eras and they've had some really bad eras too. Mm-hmm. 
Um, all right. I, my, uh, my trivia question next week is great. I did two because the research was similar. Well, why don't we just do the, that great one today? Because I didn't print it out yet. Um, okay. Oh, did you, did you do – I just got a, message, a note from Antonio Morales. Did you do a hot take for our predictions, for the staff predictions? They asked us all to like, what's your hot take for the year? Mine was UCLA to win the Pac-12. Antonio just sent that to me. Did you have one? Are you just uh, – I, I have to submit it, so. It's, it's been published already. Good job. I didn't have one. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you missed a de- you missed an email or someone asking you to do something? That's shocking. Yes, that's really that's right. I'm too busy uh, carrying all the subs uh, for you. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Top twenty five prospects of the modern recruiting era who did not sign with the school currently in the Power Five. How many of them have there been? Do you understand the question? Uh, I can think of one. Right. Who? The number one overall player. You mean? No. Top 25, like every year, like the research I did for that other story we're going to talk about next oh, week. Oh, shit. Top 25 prospects every year. There's been, there's been a 25, top 25 every year since 2002. How many okay, of those so how many? guys did not sign with a school currently in the Power 5? So there was like roughly 300 people then, right? More than that. Double that probably. Uh, 11. Three. And two of them, I thought BYU got like three or four by themselves. BYU, two to BYU. Ofa oh. Mahitoa, number 15 in 2003. Ben Olsen, number four in 2002. And I like sometimes we struggle with BYU. Like, are they powerful? So was the other one at yeah. Oliver? Yeah. So there's only three. And oh, I thought there would be more than yeah, that. Yeah, me too. BYU was in the Mountain West both of those years, so they definitely count as a non-power. Like, you know, sometimes. Okay. So that was – I think I've had some really good trivia questions. That, that wasn't one of my best, but – that was a pretty good one. I think that my guess w- was way off, but not really. I thought I think I'm I'm happy with my guess. I would have guessed, I would have guessed more than three, but then it makes sense. I mean, top twenty five is they're all five stars, and we've you know Ed Oliver. We always talked about you know first five star to go to a non power five and extra years or whatever like that. So I guess it's not too big of a surprise. Yeah, maybe I guess I I just thought that the number was higher for BYU. Yeah, that, than that. Yeah, especially in the early two thousands. Yeah, when they're they, they've had some good, yeah, some big time players. So. All right. Good pod. Think it was a good pod? Good pod. Great pod. Yeah. Good debate. Good to see your perfect face. Thanks, buddy. Uh, Thanks, everybody, for listening. Are we done? Do you want me to wrap it up? Yeah, we're done. That was Stars Matter. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next week. (laughs) 